Welcome to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. On Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud, just look for Real Estate in the 608. I'm Ben Anton. And I'm Adam Elliott. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fist curled up in a schoolyard Thanks for waiting. That was the waiting song from Madison musician Seesaw. And again, welcome to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine, Para tus oídos. Very nice, Ben. You've been practicing your Spanish. Yes, that's for your ears. That is for your ears, correct? Uh, Well done. Uh, You're just brushing up? I don't know where that came from. You don't know where it came from? Good. Well, that's right. Every once in a while, I like to try out my announcer voice. Uh uh Uh, and, uh, And sometimes, para tus oídos. Yeah. Sure. It's, you'd sound like a, the a, tele, a telenovela. Yes. Sabado Gigante on television. <laughs> That's great. Um, Fantastico. I know. I don't get to practice my Spanish all that often either. I did go to Puerto Rico early this year where I did get the chance to use it. And uh, I, I love it. You know, well, it's we, great. We could try to do this bilingually if you'd like to. <laughs> we'll start with... Uh, Yo tengo un baño caliente. Vente conmigo. What did you just say? You have a hot bathroom? <laughs> That's as close as you can get to. I have a hot tub. Come with me. You have a hot tub. All right. <laughs> All right. Real Estate in the Six Oil is a podcast for people wanting to learn Spanish, for, for homeowners, <laughs> landlords, and people thinking about investment properties, but just regular people. I yeah. think that we... we we don't talk about it all the time. Why did I decide? Why did I? Why mm-hmm. did we decide to do this? I had listened to a few other podcasts, and they they made me sick to my stomach. They made me go, "Ugh, oh, this is not this sorry. is not real. These are this is not for real people." Pepto Bismol maybe is the solution, but what was the solution? The solution was make a podcast with real topics with real people That's right. uh, that real people can relate to about right here in Madison. It's called. Hyper-local programming. We didn't learn that, though, until after we started. No, we didn't know we were doing a thing until it was apparently already a thing. Yeah, and then, we, hey, thing. we're doing we're that doing thing. thing. <laughs> that's right. So Real Estate in the 608, it's a podcast for homeowners, landlords, people thinking about investment properties. People just want to be better at living in their home. I'm Ben. I'm a landlord. I'm a broker. Uh, associate at the Lauer Realty Group, and I am also a landlord. Yeah, I'm a homeowner. Uh, ben was my real estate agent. I'm a former news reporter in the Madison area, so I got some radio chops to help us out along the way. Our guest this week, Dan McAuliffe, a city planner. Yeah, you may have seen this story that came out so sometime in August. He put a report that was based, it was essentially he put out a white paper for the city. Um, so media picked it up. It talked about gentrification, housing prices in Madison. What can the city do to make sure we are creating an equitable situation when it comes to homes in the Madison area. So we had an opportunity to read said white paper, uh, all 27 pages of it. We're going to wrap that up into a, into a conversation. He is also someone that I helped buy their house. Oh, is that right? I did yeah. not know that. Okay. Dan and his wife, Corinne. All right. So it's kind of like a little harder news edge to this one, but we're going to yeah. have fun with it. We had the well. tax lady. This is, we're pushing the limits of entertainment here <laughs> with correct. a tax lady and then a city planner. So Ben, uh, what's been going on? since last time. You talked about your trip to Port Puerto Rico. I did, yeah. I went to the island, the the islands of the Bahamas. Oh, you did. Uh, oh. One week, one week before it started to rain there. Oh my gosh, um, yeah. It and was beautiful while I was there. Uh, Nassau, where we visited, was... Mm-hmm. Was I do I believe not struck as uh, as badly as some of the other islands. Mm-hmm. While while we all are concerned and and have those uh, those dealing with the storm in our prayers and minds and warm feelings and things, um, we did have a good time and That's it was. Nice. Uh, 
Disney made sure of it. And that reminded me, too, of the, the, the podcast that wasn't for real people. Uh-huh. See, they did their broadcast while they were on vacation. Because, like, they were like... Oh, the Disney... We're, well, they didn't yeah. do it from Disney. But, yeah. like, these real estate people were like, we're so fancy real estate people that we're oh. going to do our podcast from the beach. Yeah. Nice. Did you sit and heckle those people doing their podcast on the beach? I didn't see anybody <laughs> podcasting from the beach. What's what have, going on for me? It's what back have you to, been it's doing? It's back to school time, baby. Class is going back to, in session. Besides going to see... Uh, I'm just going to see Hall of Notes. Yes, Hall of Notes. Thank you for the tickets, by well, the way. Well, that was just... I just... I, could, I would have used them, but I was with Mickey <laughs> yes, and Minnie. You were on the cruise. Uh, they It sounded like I was listening to one of the studio albums. <laughs> is that, is, and it, it brought back lots of 80s memories to me, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, uh, I teach a course at Madison College. I'm enrolled at UW-Madison, where I... I also work taking a graduate capstone certificate course as well. So it is lots of school. What do you stu- what what is that? Yes. So a, a capstone certificate is usually something a graduate would add on to the end of their career, but you can also just take the certificate portion of it. So just nine credits, and I get a certificate that says I participated in graduate school. It's in analytics for decision making. That's an area oh. that I work in. So I'm doing analytics and data visualization and all information those- is currency. I keep trying to tell my daughters that as they decide where to go. Information is currency. I think the important part is to make that happen so people don't fall asleep while you're talking about information. Yeah, that's, that's what. That's the speaking, angle. Speaking of which, <laughs> we've got a podcast. We're going to stretch those rules today with city planner Dan McAuliffe. That's right. And, uh, and it, it ought to be a great time. What's been going on from the headlines? Uh, we talk about the cheapest and the most expensive sale in Dane County yes. in about the last 30 or so days. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, there is something going on in Edgerton. They're all coming from the same is it, area. Is it, a ba- it can't be a bad place to live. Uh, no, uh, Edgerton is very nice. The The Lake Koshkanong area, which we've been talking about, it's a beautiful space. This is one yeah. of the third, I think it's the third time the cheapest property has been in Edgerton with Lake privileges. All right. I think... How like, is that? I don't, I don't know, but like the description that you put into this one, that makes me understand okay, why well, this is the cheapest. Let's imagine, <laughs> let's imagine that we can make this house a little bit better uh-huh. because uh, because today it only has it, it only has three bedrooms. It's only 843 square feet. Where's... where? And the ceiling is only falling down in the living room. Oh, that's it? Yeah, okay, the ceiling in the rest of the house was like, it looked fine. Well, I mean, if you think about 843 square feet divided by three bedrooms plus the living room, is the living room just like five <laughs> feet by five feet? Oh, come on it's now. Not, your first your first, first house on Anchor was not much bigger than that. The roof is actively leaking. <laughs> Even when the, it's not raining. And the ceiling is down in the living room. What was the price on that one? Did we say the price? 44 5 oh. We talk about the market cooling down. Uh huh. This is the lowest low price. Oh, it, yeah, you're right. Like this is a nice luxury car right here. That we're this talking is about, so not a house. so the lowest. I would bet we might com- we might be able to compete with that. I'm thinking in October, no- November, December. That's right. Um, and then really... January things will start to take off again. Is my guess. So. Then the highest sale, mm-hmm. the highest was not that high, and it was not on water, mm-hmm. and that again speaks to you know the kind of inventory that comes available in the fall, gotcha. and the price people are willing to pay for it. 
This one, though, is a beautiful house. It was $675,000 in the Highlands. Where's the Highlands? The Highlands are a loop uh, of North and South, North Highlands and South Highlands. Go off Old Middleton, just after Old Sock goes up the hill... You take a left off of Old Middleton, and I believe that's the South Highlands, and then you get onto it, it loops around the back, and it comes out at the North Highlands. Gotcha. Uh, but some really nice stuff, large lots, beautiful houses, some mid-century, some more colonial looking, but, but you know, pretty high-end living back there. At 675 this would be one of the more affordable houses sure. in the Highlands. Yeah. It was built in 1976, uh, four bedrooms, three bathrooms, 2,700 square feet, five days on the market. Uh, sold at ask. Now here's something. That, uh, Scooped I right flipped up. through the pictures, mm-hmm. as, as, which I don't even always do on it before I see a house. Uh, but double washer and dryer. That's what, luxury. Is, is that a thing? Wait, double washer. Oh, that's like two there's washers. two of them. Okay, two Just, washers and two dryers. Yeah. Hey. Oh. Why wait? <laughs> why have to wait that 45 minutes I, to an hour? You're wealthy. Let's throw in another one. Boy, I wanna keep you. Last episode, we brought uh, we brought to you the idea that uh, Adam was going to buy a house, and mm-hmm. then I he said, said no, but hey. then Rhonda bought the house. Yep. Rhonda bought the house. We have met with a builder. We have talked about panelized homes. Panelized. Mm-hmm. Panelized. Homes sure. that are built in pieces in okay. a factory. Okay. Uh, is there another name for those? They're called like prefab. Uh, is that, is that see, different? I think if you go prefab, you might be talking about... A trailer home okay. or or a manufactured home. Gotcha. See, manufactured, that's straight up trailer. Gotcha. That, uh, prefab, that might be like, we're going to park two trailers really next, next close to, to one another, other. and they've got that cathedral ceiling. And, and what's the name we're talking for, about We're here? talking about panelized construction. Panelized. So like stuff that's pre-assembled? Like the walls. The walls are All the together. walls are pre-assembled. Then the, then the, uh, the floor is going to be trusses. Okay. And then they plop another wall. So you, build, you, you dig your house, you build a foundation, mm-hmm. and then you can go from foundation to roof with a house or house with a roof in about five days. Wow, this is like the the Lego of building. If it is just, a little bit. Just snap they come with a crane together. and they fly it in. <laughs> so right now we talked about chronicling the house that Rhonda bought on mm-hmm. Facebook. There is an album there you can go see. And thus far, most conversations have been about tearing it down and building something new. Okay. Look forward to hearing about that stuff. Okay. So our guest for today, he is into city planning. He is. I wonder if we were watching Leslie Nope. What's that show? Oh, Parks and Recreation. Parks and Rec. Yeah. Like, which guy is he? <laughs> we'll ask it. That'll be one of our first questions <laughs> when we meet with Dan McAuliffe, city planner and former, not former client, because I guess when, you know, once I sell you a house, I'd like to think you're my client you're still forever. Clients. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, we'll talk to Dan very soon. Uh, right now, let's take a break for the top of the hour tip. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, an almost monthly podcast for Madison homeowners, landlords, and people who just want to be better at living in a home. One of those people who's pretty good at living in a home is going to help us be better is Rachel Whaley from the Lauer Realty Group. Well, it is September and we are going into fall and winter, and I think it's a good time to take a good look at your house, clean out your gutters, make sure that's done before winter, walk around your house, look for caulking that's dried up. It happens around your hose spigot, you know, by your AC goes into your house. Check those little areas, caulk them up good, seal them up. The mice are going to be wanting to get in because it's warmer in your house than it is outside. If you're not going to get your furnace checked and cleaned and serviced prior to winter, be sure that you go down a few days or a week or two before you actually need it to make sure that it's running 
change your filter, make sure everything sounds and looks good, and you should be all set for winter. Thank you, Rachel. That's Top of the Hour Tip. Top of the Hour Tip is a service of the Lauer Realty Group at 2229 Atwood Avenue and online at lauerrealtygroup.com. Lauer Realty Group. Powerful results. Real people. Just like Rachel. Welcome back to Real Estate in the 608, in the 608.com, and in the 608 on Facebook. My name is Adam Elliott. Ben Anton is right across the table from me. Our in-studio guest today is Dan McAuliffe, city planner. Dan, welcome. Thanks for joining oh, us today. Thanks, thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, it's great of you to uh, come into the studio today, the studio being Ben's uh, attic. <laughs> it's a nice <laughs> we don't attic. Need, we don't need to call it an attic. We it's the it's, upper floor. It's the upper floor. Well, I digress on that question. <laughs> it's Dan McAuliffe. Dan is both a city planner as well as a client of mine, someone whom I help find their first home. Uh, but is he fun? That's a great question. How are we going to find that out? We're going to play a game. Let's the, game the game is called The Way It Used to Be. There used to be. But smiling faces far as the eye could see Car in every driveway, swinging every tree People can't stop talking about the way things used to be The way it used to be is a get-to-know-you game, a quiz game of Madison Maybe some, uh, maybe outside of Madison history History and place questions Okay Now I asked you where you're from mm -hmm. And I use that along with my limited understanding of your life uh, to, to frame what I think will be three fun and clever questions. All right. They are not all hard, hard edge cutting questions that will make you wonder where this interview is going. <laughs> but the first one might be, name the historically Italian neighborhood that city planners felt a good idea to tear down part of in 1960 and then not build anything in its place for almost 10 years. Would that be the Greenbush neighborhood? Oh, right off the bat. Boom, number one. See, that was the hardest one, though, so you don't have to worry oh. about that. Oh, I, almost, I almost felt bad asking that, but, but the whole reason we play this game and the whole reason we have the podcast is so people learn. That's right, yeah. We, we actually thought you were going to take, uh, take question with the idea of tearing down and not putting oh. anything. I, I'm, no. I said, Ben, he's going to say, we didn't tear it down, we improved the space. <laughs> so, <laughs> the other thing you, you might notice is I'm a little bit younger and wasn't around in 1968, so, he, so I was not involved in that decision-making process. He, he was not specifically involved. The Greenbush Triangle, mm -hmm. Park, Regent, Washington, used to be all residential. As you also may know, the city just approved a new plan for that area, the Triangle Monona Bay plan that was approved by council this summer, actually. Oh. So looking at how that a neighborhood could redevelop in a way that is a little bit more thoughtful than the way it was done before. Or here, Burlington, Vermont, that's a place you've been from. Yep. Uh, home of Ben and Jerry's. Yep. University of Vermont, Vermont. And it's about an hour away from state capital Montpelier. Is that correct? Yes. All right. Name the former cab driver who used these three facts to convince hundreds of sorority girls he was not a mere local, but like them had East Coast roots and was deserving of their love and affections. Oh, dear. I have no idea. That's me. Is, uh, is, is, is he in the room here, Ben? That, is, that was me. That was you. Which takes us to the next place. <laughs> yes. Move. Which takes us to the next place that uh, that Dan lived, uh, Delafield, just outside of Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> for those who didn't hear the backstory, I was actually born in Los Angeles. Immediately was moved as an infant to Burlington, Vermont. My dad went to grad school at UCLA. My mom went to med school at University of Vermont and then moved out to 
Milwaukee for her work. So well, okay. Well, question three, oddly enough, takes us All right. takes us back to L.A. All right, so you were very young when you left L.A. Yes, I was two months. Maybe never had a chance to fall in love with L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, who played their last Madison, Wisconsin concert at the Civic Center on April 20th, 1989, and also loves L.A.? That I'm also struggling with. Ben Anton? He loves it. Randy right? Newman. Randy Newman, yes. <laughs> Randy Newman. We'd play the song, but we can't. No, we don't have the copyright to that. <laughs> anyway, Randy Newman loves short people and also L.A. I, th- I think he's more popular for the Toy Story songs that he puts out. Also but, did yeah. in Toy Story, evidently. Yeah. Was he, did he voice one of the characters? He did, he did a lot of the songs. I was just on a Disney cruise. I missed that. No. Yeah. I apologize for missing a question for... Uh, City that I didn't live in when I was nine. But every but this was this was like a Jeopardy question in that if you just look at the question itself, the answer comes oh, from all of that. Like oh. artist who loved L.A. We're gonna have to work on our projection board of our Jeopardy questions <laughs> that we have uh, in the studio here. Well, you are one out of three bells, fun. But I think we can manage. Yeah, that's a, we we still like you, Dan. We still uh, you still you did well today. Keep in mind, though, that even the tax lady was two bells fun. <laughs> <laughs> but now we've we've taken a we've taken a new step to be with to Dan McAuliffe, city planner. Let's. I want to read this brief paragraph, and you can edit out the pause. Okay. This is from Dan's report and a little explanation of the white paper itself. In an effort to better understand and minimize the effects of gentrification and promote a more inclusive, equitable pattern of development, staff were tasked to develop an equitable development white paper. The goal of this white paper is to conduct community-centered, data-driven research to understand and describe the nature of displacement in Madison and also generate knowledge on how strategies and policy interventions can respond and support more equitable development. That's a that's a finely inked paragraph. <laughs> I thought I, the I whole gotta say. I thought the whole thing was very well written. It and is. It, and and I didn't know Dan was so well. I, I had no idea. Well, maybe I have my moments. You got your moments? Thought he was just some schmuck from Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we should start, talk about how Dan got this way starting out. So you found yourself in love with the in love with L.A., um, but also the east side of Madison. You wanted to buy a house. How did you go about that? What Tell us, tell us what led to that decision. Sure. When my wife and I moved to um, Madison, I guess it had been 2011, we were we were renting in Tenney Park, kind of just getting our bearings. At the time, I was working as a, as a three-year LTE for the Regional Planning Commission. And just the kind of the way in, you know, 2000 to 2013, nothing was really certain in terms of jobs and economy. So at that point, mm-hmm. we weren't really ready to um, kind of tie down roots when I gained employment at the city, which occurred in 2014, originally working in the zoning division, but then I later transitioning to planning. That was kind of when we knew, like, okay, we're going to be here for the foreseeable future, which is awesome because, you know, just kind of being from, I'd say more from the Midwest, but going to school in Milwaukee, you know, Milwaukee is a is kind of a older city, a lot of mm-hmm. kind of more established neighborhoods. Um Definitely more of a Main Street community than Milwaukee or Madison is. 
almost every neighborhood has the equivalent of a Willie Street or sure. Monroe Street or Atwood. You know, kind of those relatively dense neighborhoods surrounded by a walkable main street. And certainly there's going to there's gonna be variation between, but, you know, there's the east side, the Bayview, a lot of other neighborhoods. And that was just a pretty common theme in a lot of Milwaukee neighborhoods. And when we were ready to buy in Madison, we were looking for the, you know, what did we really want? I certainly wanted to be on transit. We wanted to have a walkable amenities. Not particularly fond of ranch houses. If you're looking for stuff to walk to, and not a ranch house in Madison, you are pretty much restricted to a couple neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. We spent quite a bit of time looking for, for our house. Well, um, you, you did increase your occupancy by tw- by 25%. <laughs> we, so. we did, yes, um, shortly after moving. And we talked a little bit, well, we'll throw it, we always throw in little tips. Uh, buying the house, not that you need today, but the one you need uh, four Great years, points. five years now. We talked from the Crow Gruder. We talked to a lot of people. If you buy the house that you can keep longer and the one that will last, uh, will fit your needs and suit you longer, you're going to do better when you sell it. You're going to save money in, in time. You're going to pay less real estate commissions. It's just better to buy a house, reach a little bit so you can get a house that's going to last you a long time. You know, I really wasn't alone um, in kind of how I came to Madison. And, you know, with the recession, you know, Madison's actually weathered it unemployment-wise very well. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when we compare where we were with the our unemployment rate compared to the national average, it was very good. And while that doesn't mean there were jobs forever, you know, they're abundant during that time, but they were far easier to get in Madison than other places. As a result, Population continued to grow of Madison through the recession. But as we, as one thing that was, I'm sure Ben may have known, there was almost no commercial lending going on during the recession because banks weren't lending. Um, we had a 5% residential vacancy rate for our rentals that dropped to 1%. Um, so anytime you have a 1% vacancy rate. When you say 1% vacancy rate, you mean that 99% is filled up? Yep. Your, your prices are going to rise very quickly, just out of supply and demand. When there's, mm-hmm. there's not supply, there's, um, those prices are going to increase. So in, in a sense, you know, even with uh, the single family market, you know, those, there is just a limited supply. If you have an idea what you want, it's just going to take time for that, for that house to become available in gotcha. a neighborhood that you want. Your report had some lovely graphs. It did. And while I did read all 27 pages, I was just, <laughs> I was just now reminded of one of those graphs because we talked about um, the, 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 the vacancy rate being so high uh, and, it, and it likely having an effect then on rents. Mm-hmm. Four years that, that home prices went down and three years that rents went down, they were just about near one another. Mm-hmm. But for the record, even with that 1% vacancy rate, Housing costs have continued to climb at, you know, we haven't, the, uh, they've been climbing as fast as rents. So it's not just that all of a sudden rents got yeah. out of control when we got down to 1%. I think those people that were lucky enough to have a job during the recession, once they started to feel like things are going to be okay, mm-hmm. they started to spend all that money that they'd been saving during their modest job they had during the, their, their modest but decent job they had during the recession. So I think there was kind of a, a release of some pent-up funds, which has led to some of these higher home prices or home price costs uh, inflating at the same pace or greater than rents going up. Yes. I mean, so so one of the things that, that we started looking at is, you know, we're seeing 
median rents and and median home prices increasing significantly faster than inflation. And so basically what that means is we're, as a community, spending more on housing. You know, that's taking a larger and larger chunk out of Mm -hmm. our paychecks. And especially with people who may not be making as much money as others, that's a bigger and bigger portion of their um, monthly budget Mm -hmm. and making it tougher to meet their other needs. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. My name is Adam Elliott. Ben Anton is also in studio, and our in-studio guest today is Dan McAuliffe, a city planner for the city of Madison. Dan, thanks again for joining us Oh, absolutely. Today. We're, let's get into this report that sure. you generated. I feel like a lot of effort and research went into this. You also put this together with another city planner, I believe. Yep. This was a report that was written by myself and another city planner, Urvashi Martin. You know, it was quite a bit of a data analysis, as, as you, mm-hmm. if you, anybody who's read the report can realize. It is pretty heavy on the numbers, but also looking at what other cities are doing to kind of help their communities grow more equitably and and what are the recommendations that could be transferable to Madison? So you took data that is existing for Madison. Yep. You looked at some peer mm-hmm. cities to see what they're doing with mm-hmm. it and came up with some ideas. Yep. Ben read that uh, lovely introduction paragraph where you said minimizing the effects of gentrification. Mm-hmm. Let's define some terms sure. for those who don't know. What, what do you mean when you say gentrification? Gentrification is typically a, a market-based change in the neighborhood character. Mm-hmm. You know, Oftentimes, the idea of, of new homes coming in at significantly different price points than what's there in the community um, that may lead typically to... Typically higher. Typically higher. Mm-hmm. It also may result in changes of businesses that are in the area, as well as just kind of socioeconomic uh, uh, changes to the, the complexion of the neighborhoods. In a lot of other communities, um, it's, it's viewed as, you know, it oftentimes will happen in predominantly neighborhoods of color. Mm-hmm. Um, that are seeing an influx of, of new white residents and, and kind of some of that displacement uh, that could occur as as a result of the overall rising of the prices in the neighborhood that puts pressure on existing residents as their uh, rents, property taxes may rise, and that can lead to displacement. Mm-hmm. Displacement is the other term. So, so that is uh, typically the involuntary de- displacement generally by as a result of, of, of that that increase in market in the neighborhood, forcing the relocation typically to um, more affordable areas that are elsewhere in the community. Oftentimes, they'll be further out away from amenities like transit and parks and walkable neighborhoods as well. Sometimes people will describe this as I'm being priced out of a neighborhood, yep. therefore I have to move. Mm-hmm. And that's gentrification plus displacement. That's cool. I have to move to a place where I can't afford it mm-hmm. because everything has gone up in price so much. Yep, that's that's a great way to describe it. I think one of the things we're seeing right now is just a generational shift in, in where people are choosing to want to live. And there's a greater interest in these more central neighborhoods with walkable amenities. So these areas that had been historically, or maybe not historically, but for, for a while, they're just looked at as, you know, I, I want to go live in the suburbs. This isn't the neighborhood I want. There's few, the, anytime you have fewer buyers, those prices are going to decrease. So actually part of the, the impetus for this report largely came out of the, the Oscar Mayer process. So the Oscar Mayer is actually going through a fairly unique process. We have a two-phase um, kind of a planning effort. The first one was what we call the strategic assessment. And that was really defining the big picture ideas. You know, how is this site going to fit into the city 
long-term, what are we hoping to get out of the site? What are we hoping the site is going to do for the neighbors and its city residents? You know, largely employment, um, you know, is it going to be some housing, you know, kind of figuring out those really big questions. Um, one of the things that came out of that process was there was, a, there was a strong concern from the surrounding residents that any redevelopment on that site would result in rapid price increases and they would be displaced. As part of that, that initial fit phase, that was, one of the recommendations of that phase was we need to look at how we are growing Let's do an analysis on gentrification and displacement and then see what it says, kind of data-driven. And then thinking about as we move into that redevelopment phase, we can go into it eyes open. So we can add more employment, more housing, things that the city needs, but do so in a way that we're really being deliberate about, making sure that we are maintaining affordability, making sure that there, we're including some level of affordable housing in the, in, in the development of that. So we're not creating, you know, a new like mini San Francisco where, you know, our teachers, our bus drivers, they can't even afford to live in the city that they were. When you say affordable housing, that is a red flag in some people's minds. Mm -hmm. What's the why behind that? Why would we want to do something like that? So I think that's a great question. Affordable housing means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that, to me, it's not necessarily assisted, you know, financially assisted housing. It just, it's housing that um, your average resident can afford, mm -hmm. you know, at various price points. Um, you know, if people can work in the community, they should be able to live in the community. I and mean, just thinking about... How making sure that we have options for people um, for during their different periods of their life. So getting your first apartment, having something that's affordable, going through college, maybe buying your first house. Um, if you need a larger house, maybe buying a larger house, downsizing. But also, you know, if people choose to rent throughout their entire life, that's great too. You know, it's fine. We're, we try to provide that range of housing as a city. Um, what we found is just how neighborhoods that have a diversity of housing stock just age better. They, what do you mean by age better? What is that? What is that specific? They're, they're more resistant to decline. Mm -hmm. They, they rebound faster. One thing's with neighborhoods is they always go through cycles. Neighborhoods are built. They might be shiny and new. At some point there'll be new shiny neighborhoods somewhere else. Um, as they kind of get a little rust and then, you know, someone finds that rust maybe is actually a patina starts, you know, seeing it from that regard. So um, just thinking, you know, we have to take the 100-year approach of, you know, what is this neighborhood going to be like in 100 years um, as, as we kind of make our decisions or mm -hmm. recommendations, really. 100 years is, is probably optimistic for some of the neighbors. <laughs> what will, what will... I'll I mean, be here 100 years from now. I don't have then. anything against, I don't have anything against new construction, and the, and I'm not. Gonna, I'm only going to say Viridian and and uh, and what's this Commons Grandview Commons just uh -huh. because that's the first one I'm thinking of. It is interesting, I guess, and I haven't thought about what it might look like a hundred years from now. Certainly, living in my neighborhood that is a hundred plus years, my home is 115. It would be interesting, kind of overlay that filter. Back up, I'll back up just a second, and I'll try to grab onto this disinvestment thing again with it with uh, with Oscar Meyer. It is appropriate for those living adjacent Oscar Meyer to think about the risks of the displacement because their neighborhood has, for years, because it was adjacent a hot dog factory, has likely seen the disinvestment that would poise them for 
for the gentrification they're worried about. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's actually one of the interesting things as we as we dig through the history of the Oscar Mayer is we, you kind of need to, re- every now and then we need to remind ourselves not to look at the past with rose-colored glasses. So yes, it was a... You know, a slaughterhouse at their peak, they were able to process 10,000 hogs per day. There was a water treatment plant to the north. There was dumps basically surrounding it. Um, It probably wasn't the greatest place to live, but it did provide, you know, a a reasonable neighborhood with um, some neighborhood centers that uh, blue-collar employees, you know, people who didn't need to go to college, you know, certainly back... You know, in the in the forties and the fifties, mm-hmm. that wasn't required. Um, but people could just get a job, afford a house, and and kind of have a, a reasonable life. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, I think one of the terms we talk about here is like stability. Yeah. Like, what are we trying to achieve when we're talking about all these things together? And it's that people want some stability in there. They want to know that they can live and stay in their place. That they won't be. Uh, you know, priced out, mm-hmm. uh, as we said, and how, you know, what's the best way we can approach that? So there is stability because talk about change for people sometimes and, uh, they're pulling their hair out. Yep. Yeah. yeah there, I mean, certainly not Ben cause you know, yeah. we must've talked about an awful lot of change. Pulling the uh, the beard. That was for... that was a low blow for me. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is great. This is this is audio only. I, I have a full thick mane of hair. Yes. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608. My name is Adam Elliott. Uh, ben Anton is right across the table from me. Our in-studio guest is Dan McAuliffe, a city planner with Madison, with the city of Madison. We've been talking about a report, Dan, that you uh, recently put out mm-hmm. that talks about gentrification and displacement. One of the factors, one of the factors, one of the outputs of the report was this map. Mm-hmm. And this map, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, looks at areas that are susceptible to gentrification in Madison. Yes. So one of the things that we did is we kind of looked, you know, as we were starting the analysis, we looked at what other communities were doing and the analysis that they were using. And we really basically copied a method used by Portland, Mm -hmm. Portland, Oregon. And what they were doing is that a time series analysis that looks at basically three different factors, Uh, the economic vulnerability of a population, basically are there a pop residents that are that have lower levels of education, lower incomes, larger quantities of renters, and they also use greater concentrations of persons of color. They kind of put that in a score as well as, are there areas that we're seeing demographic change? So are there areas we're seeing rapid increases in um, education, income, changes in racial and ethnic composition, uh, as well as uh, the changes in ownership and pattern? They mix that with also an analysis of the housing market. You know, what is the median median rents, median housing prices? Uh, and this is basically done at the census block level. And then also seeing how fast are those median rents and median income changes. They put it together um, using this kind of factor. And you know, so if it, if it was determined to have a susceptible population using those metrics, it went forward in the analysis and kind of having the combination of seeing some demographic change as well as what's going on with the housing markets is where that map comes from. 
Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll spin back this question. Why is it important to note that a neighborhood is susceptible to gentrification? It may actually not be that mm-hmm. important. So one of the things that, that we wanted to point out is that just because an area isn't flagged as being susceptible doesn't mean it's necessarily affordable. It means that oftentimes there there may not be options for for people who have lesser means in those areas. They or they are historically higher value tracks that simply there can't be gentrification or displacement because there's not that population to displace. And that was kind of, as we started to go through the data, that was kind of one of our early findings. It's like, we can look at this and say, these are the areas that we have some susceptibility, some risk in the future of gentrification and displacement. But those are also the areas that we can go in and be very deliberate about changes in development in the future. We can think about how we can maintain affordable housing in those areas or develop new affordable housing in those areas. But they are, our, as a city, our largest concentrations of affordable housing. In the other areas that may also have great transit access, they may be central, they may have a lot of amenities, there just isn't that base of affordability that, that um, you know, is important for us to have as a community. Speak a little bit more of the importance of transit. Sure, transit has come up a couple different times. Yep. So who would say in this? Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's one of the things that we really focus on is, is thinking about, uh, particularly with uh, any level of affordability, having people have access to transit. I don't know if people have been driving down East Washington. You you recognize that we have a narrow city, and we funnel a lot of traffic in there. And the best way to grow is to grow leveraging our, our transit system rather than relying on individual cars. Putting more cars on the road. Yep, right? exactly. Yeah. It does more from a sustainability standpoint. It does more from, you know, just a fiscal, you know, it costs less to have one car or no cars. And certainly if you're you're making less money, you don't want to have to have half your money going to a car payment when you're really struggling with rents. So when we think about citing affordable housing, we always think about how does it relate to our transit network. And so what we've done, and actually I, I I think it's in the report. We've we've done a couple maps that look at you know where we, we obviously have a map of our transit system, but where does it really work effectively? Mm-hmm. And thinking about how we can match those areas that where our transit really really works well, or at least works well enough, because um, simply having a bus route that goes down a street doesn't necessarily mean it's effective transit. Sure, um, it's you know if you have to get someplace and you have no other options, it might work. But if you're trying to get to, you know, a job. I think you talked a little bit about inside the transfer points yep. as being kind of a more of a, it's mm-hmm. a more realistic and and reasonable option inside. Whereas you, Adam, do have to make a transfer. I do. Uh, we, fortunately, we my bus, you. it's the same transfer. I don't have to get off. The bus. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not really just my, a transfer. That's my fortunate situation. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, and also, to, you know, the, what we've just as a observation is the the routes inside the transfer point system tend to be more direct and frequent frequent mm-hmm. um the routes outside the transfer point system are often kind of loop routes picking up those people and delivering them to the transfer point mm-hmm. so those routes kind of become more circuitous um also, they also happen to correspond to neighborhoods where the street system and the densities are non-optimal for transit. So mm-hmm. we can run buses through there, but the, you know you can't just run it down a main arterial. You got to zigzag through, kind of mm-hmm. find your own path and, and kind of get back to there. So, but we're, we're, we try to grow really thinking about you know how we leverage that transit system and really encourage 
density and growth in those areas. And that's something that really came, I mean, historically, I think the city's done a great job in, but in our recent comprehensive plan, Imagine Madison, we heard very strongly from Madison residents that growing in redevelopment areas, in central areas that do have that transportation infrastructure already is is something that the city generally prefers to greenfield development. And that doesn't mean greenfield development's gonna stop, um, but as a community, our preference, um, and that's come from our residents, um, okay. is to really focus on redevelopment. You gotta define greenfield development, greenfield for me. So, Basically, new development, new homes on former farm fields versus, at the periphery. Versus Brownfield, where we'd be looking at something like Royster. Royster. Mm-hmm. Royster, Oscar. Oh, right, yeah. I don't Union Corners wasn't really a brown... But, well, yes, it, it was. was. A, it was a battery factory. Battery factory. Brown, so that was a brownfield. Mm-hmm. Places mm-hmm. where remediation and, and major yeah. changes that often at the, at the, with the supplement of, of governmental dollars. Mm-hmm. But here's the other thing, and this was a jargon. Uh, we'll take it into jargon, and I'm going to throw out my other idea. Affordable housing, there are two kinds. Mm-hmm. There is the subsidized that you didn't want us to always think about, but then you didn't actually say the, the naturally occurring affordable housing. And based on my understanding of your definition, or at least looking at some HUD, uh, some using some city loan program uh, rent limits as an idea of what the city mm-hmm. believes to be affordable... I have almost exclusively, almost all of my properties are naturally occurring affordable housing. What can be done, or did the, did the study look at all as to say, well, if naturally occurring affordable housing is one, is one of the things that stops gentrification, what can we do to, to bolster that? Or if it's naturally occurring, <laughs> how can we just make nature occur more? Sure. Right. Um, so actually, that was one of the, the interesting things that we found as we started digging through the data. Um, and that particularly is something that we flagged in Tenny Lapham. And one of the things that, you know, Tenny Lapham was flagged as having a susceptible to gentrification. It, it was... It was defined as an early type two, which means it has a vulnerable population, according to this. It has not seen significant de- uh, demographic change, but it is the housing market is accelerating rapidly. So those prices are going up. So what's really interesting is when we dug a little further in the data, um, kind of what does that mean? Because the you kind of expect that, you know, just kind of look driving down East Wash, looking at all that, that that kind of looks like that. Those um, the high rises and yep. all the new development. You'd, you'd expect there. that you'd those think, um, think everything was more expensive. Yeah, yep. and and what we actually found when we when we dug into the data is the rental rates in Tenny Lapham grew at a slower rate than the city as a whole. So it grew something like sixteen percent over the seven year period compared to nineteen percent. So. You look at that and then it says, wow, that, that's kind of interesting because you'd expect that to be somewhat different. Just With so many brand new, new shiny sh- units, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then we dug a little deeper into the data and then what we found is the more affordable half of rental units in Tenny Lapham that were existing in 2010 basically grew, those rental rates, those units only grew at the rate of inflation, so 12%. Meanwhile, we had a lot more growth occurring at the upper end, just because right now mm-hmm. it's challenging to make construction financially feasible at at, at lower price points. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had an influx of new units, um, 
it looks like there's a lot of change, but at the same time, all those extra units are maintaining afford, maybe helping to maintain affordability of those older, naturally occurring affordable units in those areas. So that's that's kind of a really interesting finding because you're right that naturally occurring affordable housing is certainly going to be, you know, it's the vast majority of the supply for the city. You know, um, mm-hmm. assisted and subsidized affordable housing certainly has a place, but we would never be able to subsidize the amount of housing needed to come to the quantity that's available and naturally occurring. It's time for the market update. In today with the market update is Rachel Whaley, broker associate with the Lauer Realty Group. Seems like we're springing into fall. The market's kind of taken off. The rates as of today have fallen to around three and a half percent, which is pretty amazing. Almost the lowest that I've seen it for a 30 year fixed. Buyers who maybe felt a little bit beat up or got exhausted in the spring seem to be coming back into the market. Some of them just getting started looking, um, which is great. It's like the new spring fall. And there's a lot of price reductions, but it's a good time to take advantage of that rate. Get yourself a good deal and uh, you'll have a lot less competition. It seems to me that a lot of people were waiting for the season change, waiting for school to start, waiting for fall to get off their butt and stop enjoying summer and start getting back to the important work of real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of new buyers, lots of uh, buyer interviews and consultations as well as a few new listings on my calendar. Yeah, me too. It felt like spring. All right. Well, thank you very much. That's Rachel, broker associate from the Lauer Realty Group. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608. My name is Adam Elliott. Uh, Benny Anton is my co-host. And we have Dan McAuliffe, city planner with the City of Madison in studio, talking about susceptibility of gentrification in the Madison area, how that could cause displacement. Two of the other keywords that you talked about in your report are inclusivity and equity. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Tell me, tell me the thoughts behind those. Well, I think, you know, as a community, we value inclusivity and equity. We want to make sure that everybody has a place in a neighborhood that, you know, a goal would certainly be that, you you know, you don't have to define where you live based on what you can afford. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding that there's always going to be wrinkles in the market and certain areas will be a little higher income than others. But our goal is, as, as I mentioned before, is, you know, really have an opportunity for everybody in every life phase in a, a you know, a neighborhood, maybe not the smallest neighborhood, but so thinking about how we can grow and particularly not this you know displace people as we are growing as a community mm-hmm. at the any end of any good statistical summation like mm-hmm. you did you should ask yourself well so what what uh <laughs> what do i get out of this mm-hmm. and i think you came up with some strategies yep let's talk about some of the ideas that uh, you're putting forth based on the data that you found from this report. yeah so actually as i mentioned before the report was written by myself and irvishy martin in the planning division she did an excellent job kind of digging through what other communities are doing and some of the strategies that we are doing currently mm-hmm. things we could do better and things that you know, we actually have some strategies that a lot of communities are doing that we can't because of some state law change. So one of the things that the city's doing right now, we do use an affordable housing fund that we are awarding grants to potential developers that hopefully that they are tying those with some of other uh, state low-income housing tax credit programs to bolster the chances of getting those grants 
specifically targeting those areas, as I mentioned, for areas that are have transit, access to grocery stores, things like that. We also have historically done some land banking. Union Corners is a great example of that. Land banking Par- is where you... The city, yes. the the city yes. buys something yeah. up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's correct. We, we would buy property that may not be quite ready for redevelopment, might have some issues, um, hold on. The city's been really successful with what they have done in terms of land banking. A couple other things that, that we're doing currently, a lot of communities or a lot of the, you know accessory dwelling units are a great way to add density and affordable homes in you know in existing areas what we've actually found is that really isn't the case it's Hmm. they're pretty expensive to build it's not a typical you know you can't just get a mortgage for it so what are some of the other things the city's doing right well we we have a couple of things i'm not going to go through the entire list but we we have looked at you know what are the costs that the city can reduce to encourage affordable housing one of those is our park impact fee waivers so typically you know with any new residential unit there's a park impact fee but when there is uh, a recognition that those are affordable units, Parks is able to waive that fee. Those are kind of the the major ones. A couple of the things that we that are, have been discussed as you know possible things that we can do a little bit better is look at kind of what our zoning standards are and what does that mean in terms of the ability to develop in an, in you know a, a sensitive way in a thoughtful way, but a, a way that allows for more growth. But when we look at, you know, our, our multifamily, you know, what's been developed uh, since our new zoning code. So the city completely rewrote its zoning code in 2013, sh- shortly before I started in zoning. It went from a chaotic document to a very well-organized document. One of the interesting things that's happened since then, though, is almost all of our multifamily is conditional use, which requires... A process, um, going to plan commission, get, you know, kind of having the neighborhood meetings, all these other things, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's not to say that's a bad thing. But are those thresholds where they're supposed to be? Are there something, you know, can does it make sense for the city to uh, through a you know a process to look at does it does it having some of those housing types that are in what's called the missing middle, kind of not the big ones, but you know, like townhomes and. Uh, maybe four units, smaller, you know, three-story apartment buildings. Those type of smaller, uh, I would say a lot of people would feel those are less intrusive into a traditional single-family character neighborhood. Sure. Um, is that something that it might make sense to start adjusting some of those conditional versus permitted mm-hmm. use thresholds? Um, so that's something that, that we could certainly take a look at. Some of the other things that we could also look at are our density bonuses. Now, these are, are kind of tricky, um, because depending on who you ask, they may, the state of Wisconsin has a prohibition on rent control, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's the rules, it's the law. Um, oftentimes that can be broadly interpreted to mean other things. So as you may have been aware that the city had a, um, inclusive zoning ordinance, mm-hmm. um, that was struck down because it was considered, um, uh, rent control at the state level. So we need to tread cautiously and there needs to, you know, if these things are, there needs to be a lot of thought going into that. If these are strategies that the city wants to adopt, um, that, you know, could we look at a way that these are truly optional, that there's not requirements, but we could encourage 
greater density, encourage and allow greater densities in appropriate areas mm-hmm. if those helped us achieve more affordable housing. Was rent control one of the suggestions? I know I saw it, it was in the report. Yes, it's, I would say it's, it's, it's in the report because it's, when we look at national research, it's one of the strategies that it's brought up. Mm-hmm. You know, to the extent that it would be discussed as something that's appropriate for Madison, that's right. certainly, and there would that's be, a larger question. There's a big question that goes right up to the state level too. Tony Hill and Washboard, she would play. I also, I don't, I would likely embarrass myself if we talked about eviction protection. You know, I, I am, I don't want to evict anybody ever. I've had to do it twice. And I would sit down and talk to anybody who wanted to, to talk about it, about those experiences and how, and how it was horrible for everyone. But I don't feel that I was wrong in any way. I mean, it, mm-hmm. nor do I feel that the, that the law's, Anyway, we're not going to talk about <laughs> no, that. No, I think there's, there's, I think nationally there's a greater interest in trying to help prevent evictions, especially if mm-hmm. um, there was a book recently, I, I can't recall the author's name, but it was evicted. Matthew Desmond. Um, chronologicking right. chron- or following, um, I want to say probably a dozen different people in Milwaukee. It's a great book. Yeah, if, I highly recommend it if you, if you haven't read it. Um, but it does kind of give you uh, really great insights into what goes on in from the renter's perspective, but also the landlords and the mm-hmm. issues that both mm-hmm. of them are dealing with. Um, and it, I think it's pretty eye-opening for a lot of people as the the consequences of you know what happens after someone is is evicted. No, that was I am not a big reader, and that was a book that uh, in part because it was you know Sweet Home Milwaukee. Um, and then the other, I mean, I connected with that, with that book on so many levels and it, it was really just a, a great read. And I'm going to plug, I'm going to plug one more thing and I'm sure you've heard of this, Dan, but if you are, if you are at all enjoying this conversation, you should, you should like, um, strong towns on Facebook for me. And, and we're going to, you, you would be able to take some of these things we're talking about. And, and as I have this last week, just started to pour over solutions and little intricacies in the plans. Um, uh, one of the things I, that I'll talk about with Dan some other time is incremental development versus larger, whole, larger, bigger projects like his Oscar Mayer, uh, redevelopment, et cetera, and how monies can, and, and, uh, accessory dwelling units. And, you know, the, how, how can we plant seeds, uh, in an already, uh, fruitful forest to guarantee long-term health versus scraping, uh, the green field, as it may be, mm-hmm. and, and planting a, a rows, rows and rows of corn there. You know, are there is there a science or a sense behind it? But this has been fantastic, Dan. Thank you for taking this kind of hand holding us through your report. Um, it really is. It really is something that it's a head scratcher for sure. Just a- You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. Time for one more thing. If you were to quickly sum up what happens next after with this report. So right now we're still in the official review process. So the next opportunity, if you are interested in learning more, we will be presenting at the Equal Opportunities Commissions on September 12th. We'll be at Housing Strategy on September 26th. Um, the Community Development Block Grant Committee on October 3rd, and Plan Commission on October 14th. 
So if, some chances for public input. Absolutely. If if yeah. all those if all those meetings go to plan, we will be the document will be going to council on November fifth. Um, so right now, probably the best way to find the document um, is on the city's registrar. We will put a link to your document after episode nueve. That's good, Ben. Well, well done. See, we started with the Spanish last time. We said ocho, and then today we are the <laughs> the real estate magazine para what was it again? Para tus oídos. Oídos, yes. Your ears, yes. Real estate <laughs> magazines for <laughs> your ears. We're doing a lot of translating here. Too, uh, we're gonna put is, a, we're gonna put a link know. to the document <laughs> next to episode nine at in the six oh eight dot com. Yeah. Um, Dan, thank you so much. It Absolutely. It's been data-driven. It's been informative. And I think uh, we get we talked about some important issues mm-hmm. here today. And, and as, if people are interested, I, I really do hope they follow the process. Um, come to the meetings. Um, one, maybe all, if you, if you have a lot of time. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, part of our job as staff is to kind of do analysis and make recommendations. But it is a public process, and we really want to facilitate mm-hmm. that and, and get people's perspective as we go through this process. Thanks again for being here, Dan. Thank you, Dan. If you're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine, you ready for it? You ready for it? Mm-hmm. Para tus oídos. Very good. For your ears. Good. It's time to talk to Phil Plort. Phil Plort is my business partner in Deacon Housing, as well as vice president of Plort Properties. Uh you, you might remember we talked about the house that Rhonda bought. We did. There we, we go. Did. Vice President. He's going to meet us with uh, a look beyond the 608. Does he look over the House of Representatives and Rhonda's function <laughs> if he's the Vice President? He's the Vice President, <laughs> yes. Yeah. He, he Is also such sits, a structure? He says before the House of Representatives, uh, Leah and Rebecca. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, Phil, Phil is a dairy commodities broker, and he takes a, a look uh, look beyond the 608 and beyond milk uh, with this little call-in. Hey, Ben. It's Phil with a view from beyond the 608. Well, you know, that's not quite accurate this time around. We're going to take a look at some data from inside the 608 for a change. You mentioned that you'd be talking about gentrification in this month's episode. And that got me thinking about a similar topic, which is reurbanization. We read a lot of stories about how people are coming back to the cities. Driving around Madison on any given day, you have to believe that it's happening here. But is that what the data shows? Turns out it does. I went and pulled some Census Bureau data going back to 1980 and looked at the relative rates of growth of the city of Madison and Dane County. In the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s, growth in Dane County was at a much greater rate than growth in the city of Madison. For example, between the year 1990 and 2000, Madison's population grew by 9%, while Dane County's grew by 16%. Fast forward to the last eight years, and the rates are about equal, with Madison population up 10% and Dane County up 11%. So it's not just our imagination. The relative rate of growth in Madison is evolving in a different way than it was not so long ago. Why? And what does it mean? Well, we can talk about that another time. Until then, this is Phil with a view from Beyond the 608. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for years. Find us online at in the608.com. Ben, what was that? 
Para tus oídos. That was for our ears. That was number nine. Nueve. Very good. So you're getting better and better at your Spanish. I think you'll be teaching a class soon enough. Um, I, I'm also, it was the announcer voice that triggered my, my desire to speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you to our line. Spanish-speaking friends who have been uh, tolerating our <laughs> Spanglish as we go along here, but it's been fun. I it has say, been fun, and Dan, and Dan was a lot of fun. Dan brought the data. He brought the data, and, mm-hmm. I, and I, I appreciate everyone for sitting through that. Well, I don't mean sitting through it, but you, you get it. Like, this it, is, gets, it gets heady sometimes when we talk about such large concepts and how do we apply them and like what do they mean. But I think Dan gave us some, some infos to like how to cut through some of Some those. good takeaways. And, and mm-hmm. if you had questions or if you wanted to see the pretty pictures that come with that data, um, do visit in the 608com episode 9. We'll have a link to his report there. Um, and as I said, if you had any interest in this. If this was like, huh, if this made you go, huh, you should definitely check out a thing called uh, Strong Towns. Um, they have a blog. They probably have a podcast. But then also that book that uh, Dan mentioned, uh, Matthew Desmond, Evicted. Great read. Mm. Uh, if you have any mm-hmm. love for Milwaukee or being a landlord or, or just a, a decent book, uh, I would definitely recommend that. We've got a little love for Milwaukee. I'll check it out. We also love L.A. We do love L.A. and Randy Newman. Who? And Ra- how often do you think about that guy? Not often enough. Rarely. Rarely. So this is Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears, but we also have a newsletter. Oh, what is Is it para tus oyeres? I don't even know. O- ojos, would you? Ojos. Para, para tus ojos. <laughs> yes. Uh, the 22nd, 22nd read is a podcast para tus ojos. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes out on the 22nd, and it has things like a market update and top of the hour tip that we call something else because it's not top of the hour. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's an easy way to keep your fingers on the pulse of the real estate market and, and a lovely way to stay in touch with me. Please visit In the 608 on Facebook. That'll give you access to the sign up for the newsletter. Sign up, and you'll be signed up for the 22nd, 22nd read. Say some thank yous to the music we've been listening to throughout the show today. Thank you to Renclaw, El Donk, Bob Westfall, Seesaw, Mad City Jug Band. That's right. And uh, thank you once again to our guest, uh, City Planner, Madison City Planner, Dan McCall. Uh, very informative. And he also will also have links to the times that you can sound off if you are a resident interested in this and learning more, including yeah, that his first reports. meeting is coming right up. Right up. Right up. All right, Ben, uh, where am I going to see you? I still have to finish painting the house. You're going to see me hanging see- from a ladder on the side of my house. But the the weather is beautiful for painting. The weather outside is delightful, I will say that. Fall has fallen. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, into the books, so I'm back in into the, the books. books yeah. We're not going to see it all. You won't see me anywhere except studying in my basement. That's about <laughs> it. Uh, ben, great show today. Thank you. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fists curled up in a schoolyard fight? I'll be a backup when you're calling my name.